Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, you know, where, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doing Time Show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855am on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This is Marissa and I'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening. First, coming up on the show, we're going to be speaking with Mina Singh from the Human Rights Law Centre. And we're going to be speaking with her about children who continue to be jailed since Attorneys General failed to raise the age. And this is despite a report that has um, gone through about this topic. So we'll be speaking with Mina about children, particularly Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children, who are overrepresented in the prison system. So we'll talk to her about that. And then after that, we'll be speaking with Cooper. And Cooper is one of the organisers of a protest in Sydney. As listeners would be aware, large parts of New South Wales are locked down. Um, because of the COVID and the spreading of the Delta variant. And we'll be speaking with Cooper about insecure work and about how the pandemic and the lockdowns have affected New South Wales residents and about a safe from COVID convoy that was, that was stopped by police. And we'll be speaking to him about protest rights and looking also at health and how that can be balanced out. But, yeah, so first up, as I said, we'll, we'll be speaking with Mina and we'll be speaking her, with her very shortly after a community services announcement. More than 70 innocent refugees are still being indefinitely detained in detention centres and secure hotels around Australia. Over recent months, many fellow detainees have been released onto bridging visas. Those remaining are desperate to know why they are still held. It is indefinite, it is cruel and it is unlawful. Every day a group of supporters protest this brutality outside the Park Hotel at 701 Swanson Street, Melbourne, where 11 men remain trapped and whose hopes are fading and whose mental health is declining. The aim of the protests is to raise awareness of the situation for the general public, but also to show support and solidarity to the men inside. It is also for the approximately 200 refugees still held offshore. Please come along any weeknight at 6pm or weekend at 3pm. And you're back with the Doing Time show. Oh, there's a bit of an echo there, a bit of tech stuff going on here. Speaking now with Mina from the Human Rights Law Centre, and I'd like to warmly welcome you to the program. Hello, Mina. Thank you. Welcome for coming. 
thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. It's lovely to have you. A bit bizarre at the moment because of this, this all these heavy restrictions and me doing the show remotely from home. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's unusual times, isn't it, Mina? It is very unusual times. Yes. <laughs> Now I'm wondering, Mina, if you could just start off just giving us, giving listeners your title, where you're from, and what, just what land you're from. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm a Yorta Yorta woman on my mother's side, and Indian from my dad's side. I am the legal director heading up the uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Rights Unit with the Human Rights Law Centre, and I'm on uh, the land of the Bunurong Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation right now. Thank you so much, Mina. And I believe we've interviewed you before here on yeah. the Doing Time show. Yeah. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> Thank you so much. Now, it's the 27th of July. The 27th of July marks one year since Australia's top legal officers failed to raise the age of criminal responsibility from 10 to 14. Mm. And this is despite being handed an expert report overwhelmingly recommending that all states and territories and the federal government change laws to keep children out of prison. Yes. Can you comment on that and tell us what's been going on? Yeah. Um, it's an incredibly frustrating situation. Um, the Council of Attorney-Generals, so all the Attorney-Generals from our different jurisdictions and our National Attorney-General, um, have basically been sitting on a report um, for at least a year now, um, a report that they... Uh, asked to be prepared that many, many um, organisations around the country, Aboriginal organisations, legal organisations, health, medical, children's rights groups, so many organisations contributed to the creation of this report, providing expert evidence and policy information about why the age of criminal responsibility should be raised from just 10 years of age to at least 14 years. Um, so the, the Coalition of Attorney-Generals have had a report for over a year now that um, we understand has been leaked, but we can't get a hold of through freedom of information requests or other requests. Um, and this report is supposed to support raising the age of criminal responsibility to at least 14 years of age. So it's, it's hugely frustrating to know that there is this report out there that provides um, the evidence and the impetus um, to raise the age, but we're just not seeing enough action coming out of it. Indeed, and I believe that a, a letter was written, 47 organisations wrote to Attorney-General Michaela Cash, mm. but nothing came out of that? Yes, uh, so we've, we actually did... Uh, so there was a letter written and, and the Commonwealth... Fairly, fairly, sorry, they put um, the ball in the, the courts of, of yeah. the state and territory jurisdictions um, to raise the age. They say it's a state and territory issue. Um, but, of course, that doesn't prevent our federal government showing leadership on this issue and um, throwing their support behind why raising the age to 14 years of age is so important. Um, to do so would put us in line with um, international community standards. Um, and, you know, just earlier this year, there were 30 countries that called on Australia as part of the United Nations Universal Periodic Process, uh, sorry, Review. Um, 30 nations called on Australia to raise the age of criminal responsibility. There's 
expert medical evidence saying um, that kids under the age of 14 are still developing and don't yet have the capacity to, you know, make those proper decisions with thinking about their consequences and such. Um, so far, we've only seen the ACT, the Australian Capital Territory, come out and say, yes, they will raise the age. Um, we're seeing very little leadership from other states and territories. So really, it, it wouldn't it be better to invest money into innovative programs and family services mm. rather than prisons? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, <laughs> prevention... I mean, we know from health, we know from COVID, you know, experiencing a pandemic, that prevention is always better than the cure, that the things that keep our communities safe are things such as good health, physically and mentally, access to services, um, being connected with education from an early age, um, being connected to family and particularly for Aboriginal kids, being connected to culture. Um, these are all the things that keep us strong, that keep our kids safe, keep our kids out of, out of prison. Um, but instead, we see so much money being poured into building of prisons. Um, and often, you know, the majority of... of, of sorry, in, in many jurisdictions, you know, so many of the kids who are in prison are actually still waiting on sentence. They're not yet sentenced. So, um, you know, we really need to think holistically about what the needs are of, of kids in community. And if you think of all the things that keep each of us strong and, you know, keep each of us out of prison, it's all the things that we need to invest in. It really beggars belief, doesn't it, honestly? <laughs> it's, um, you know, it's funny, people um, who aren't, say, connected with the law or don't have much, you know, kind of um, experience with legal issues or anything... When you say to them, you know, did you know that once a child turns 10 years of age that they could go to prison, um, that they could be arrested, they could be held by the police? They're really astounded by by that detail. They're really, really shocked. Um, they think that our age of criminal responsibility is, is much higher, but it's just 10 years of old, 10 years of age, that we're willing to put kids behind the bars. I mean, not only is this totally out of step with international human rights and standards, but mm, yeah. would it be fair to say that this is a direct consequence of colonisation? Oh, for sure. If you if you think about, you know, those things I said before about what keeps communities safe, what keeps community, families, children strong, all those things of health and, and um, housing, education, connection to culture, these are all the very things that have been undermined by processes of invasion and colonisation for Aboriginal communities. And if you look at, you know, last week the, the Closing the Gap um, targets were released and pretty much Australia's failing on virtually everything. Um, you know, poor health outcomes, we're still dying younger, um, you know, uh, our kids are still being jailed. Um, there's so many issues that trace back to colonisation that still have ongoing impacts. So, um, yeah, it, you know, from days, you know, from the first arrival of the British, Aboriginal people have always been deemed a problem, been criminalised in so many different ways. And sadly, you know, when you see um, in places like, say, the Northern Territory, where virtually all the children who are in prison are Aboriginal children, 
you have to stop and say, well, when are we actually going to discuss the race issue of this problem? It could also be construed that it's 1788 all over again because you you had, you know, convicts coming out on ships. And this could sound quite confronting, Mina, but mm. it has to be said, you know, that you've got, you know, the convicts coming out on ships back then mm. simply for stealing a banana and you've got children, mm. you know, working um, for families and overseers having chain gangs. Now, I'm not saying that's happening now. Mm. Well, we never know <laughs> what happens behind closed doors. But, <laughs> but, but I suppose what I'm trying to say is have things really changed? I think it raises a really big question of how quickly how quick we are to criminalise people's behaviours and not understand what's going on behind um, behaviours, particularly for children. Um, you know, when I uh, worked at the Aboriginal Legal Service in Victoria, you know, there were kids who would be um, charged with and, and you know held in sorry held in prison cells or in prison. Oh. Um, so police cells um, yep. in custody or stealing something really small like a chocolate bar or a, a drink. And, you know, the resources that go into that, which, like you said before, could be channelled in such different ways to support kids, to support their families. And, in fact, the media release that's been put out by the Human Rights Law Centre, it's got quite a few quotes from different organisations and I've just noted here a quote from Priscilla Atkins, chair of um, NATSULS, yep. where she says, this is an unjust and dangerous matter. A political mm. will ongoing in action mm. means a horrifying number of our young people continue to be trapped. Yes. What do you make yeah. of that? We know that um, the earlier a child becomes engaged with the criminal legal system, the more likely they are to return to it as they get older. There is nothing rehabilitative about prisons. Um, these are not places that are, are, are good. <laughs> they're, they're not the places where children can heal from trauma or stay connected with education or stay connected with family. Um, when we send children to jail, even for the you know the whole experience of being arrested, taken into custody, um, put in a police cell or a prison cell, all of that is highly traumatic, and. Um, we know that trauma can interfere with how a child engages with their family and community going forward, how they engage with education. There's so much damage that's done when a child um, is exposed to the criminal legal system in such a horrible way. Absolutely. And finally, I just wanted to touch on, on the background to all this. And I'm wondering if you could just enlighten listeners because... I was most concerned when I had a look here that on the 27th of July 2020, mm. the then Council of Attorneys General were presented with a report. Yes. Can you talk about that report and what happened or what didn't happen? I would love to talk about the report, um, but we haven't had been given access to it despite um, mm. numerous freedom of information requests. Um, the report was contributed to... Um, by, oh, sorry, the number's not in front of me right now, um, I think it was nearly 90 organisations yes. um, made submissions to this report, um, to the preparation of this report, um, calling for the age of criminal responsibility to be raised. Um, we were one of those organisations. Um, and 
as far as we know, this report supports raising the age to, to 14 years of, of age. Um, but, yeah, this report hasn't been released. And, you know, this is an evidence base um, that government can rely on uh, to say this is why we're doing it. But there is just a very uh, a significant lack of political will to, to act. Yeah, because it said, I, I've just had a look here, just the the exact number here, mm. Mina, so that we mm. can tell mm. listeners here, you, you, you're absolutely right. Although it says 88, um, 88. <laughs> comprising submissions from 88, nearly 90. Yep, nearly Aboriginal 90. and Torres Strait Islander human rights, social services and other non-for-profit organisations. Mm. And the report recommended, as you said, that the age of criminal responsibility be raised to at least 14. Mm. And like you said, it wasn't made public. Most of it was denied, including all submissions following a freedom information request by the Human Rights Law Centre. I mean, what's with that? What's going on here? Um, the, the reasons we've been getting is, some, is concerns about, you know, the relationship between Commonwealth and states and territories and, you know, openness of discussions and that sort of thing. But um, you know, it's it's just such a fascinating situation yes. to be in, um, knowing that this report is there, knowing that the, uh, there is the evidence base to act, um, but just not the will. But I think you know we're getting more and more people talking on on all sides of the political spectrum. Um, last week, when it was the one-year anniversary of this report not being released, we had a, um, a Me at 10 social media campaign uh, where lots of people put pictures of themselves at 10 years of age on um, different social media platforms um, and said, you know, this is a Me at 10. At this age, I was, you know, playing basketball or, you know, hanging out yeah. with my friends and, and I also could have been jailed. Um, and we got people, you know, we got people from... The Greens, uh, we've got uh, Liberal politicians, we've got Labor politicians sharing those sorts of pictures. And, um, you know, the more we think about this issue, it really shouldn't be a political issue. This should be about human rights. It should be about treating children well and uh, helping kids to become the best that they can possibly be without, you know, the fear of, of being arrested because you've made a mistake. Exactly. And also reoffending in the future. Yes, that's right. Absolutely yeah. right. Yeah, if you're with other people in prison, you're liable to reoffend. Mia, yep. thank you so much for coming onto the program. Was there anything else you wanted to, to say before we finish? Uh, just that we keep fighting and we keep lobbying and um, just to get just for you know, people listening to just get the word out there. So many people, um, members of the public, are just so surprised when they hear um, that the age of criminal responsibility in Australia is just 10 years of age. So the more we talk about it, the more we gain awareness of it and um, really put pressure back on those decision-makers. Mina, thank you so much for coming onto the program. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am on digital and online, 3CR Radical Radio. I really am not understanding why people aren't seeing the fact that prisons 
are an integral part of a public health response to a pandemic. Like you, I'm really concerned about whether the data is being released very honestly about illnesses within prison. I have suspicions it's not, but really we need very strong leadership in this country that actually cares about people inside, our most vulnerable populations inside. That's what we need and that's not what we're getting right now. We need to keep radical voices on air. Subscribe now. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377. The new Climate Action Radio Show will surprise you. Well, first of all, I'm not a believer in global warming. I'm not a believer in man-made global warming. And so you'll hear voices from all around Australia and overseas that are taking all types of climate action, whether it's stopping coal and gas, whether it's building a new model of society, or whether it's just sustaining you in the grief you may feel about the climate destruction we're facing. And in that spirit, here's a poem by Rumi. Stop, take a breath, for you are drunk, and we are are at the edge of the roof. This is coal. Don't be afraid. Deep Don't be scared. Rare. It's coal. It's coal. It's coal. Tune in every Monday at 5pm to hear the Climate Action Radio Show. There are many ways that you can keep up to date with 3CR news, events and programs. With Facebook stripping content, it's a timely reminder to focus on the communication channels and platforms that the community controls. The 3CR website is a great spot to catch all your shows via audio on demand or scroll through our range of podcasts. It's also where you can sign up to our monthly newsletter, buy yourself a new T-shirt or check out archival audio from past broadcasts. Of course, we're also on Twitter at 3CR and Instagram at 3CR Melbourne. But don't forget our mighty AM band. Catch us anytime on 855am. Keep in touch. 3cr.org.au Armed states are talking big and spending up with no intention to disarm. The Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons provides a pathway out of this mess, and it's up to us to get our government on board. Tune in to ICANN's Banned School to learn more and be part of History in the Making. It's five online sessions from June to September. Check it out and enrol at icanw.org.au forward slash band school. That's icanw.org.au forward slash band school. The international campaign to abolish nuclear weapons is a 3CR supporter. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM on digital and online. 3CR Radical Radio.
stomping, legs shaking, cries all around. The earth is quaking from stories passed down. Black, yellow, red are the colors I see. Defining the culture that's inside of me. Spitting original raps and perhaps you're gonna take a home, chuck it on and lace to that particular track. And as a matter of fact, what's the essence of culture if you could just tell me that? As I ran an indigenous story, shed blood, sweat and tears through my peers for many years. Trying to bring much glory to warriors and ancestors. Less spiritual footprints for me, I follow before me and other systems trying to ignore the Color them see. Same time, bullet man sitting out top upon a sideline, trying to adore us, suppress the murder in me. So, was it respect and courtesy? Indebted to the beat, forget it, don't worry about it, it's not accepted. Never was an option for thee. Same struggle and pain, a black brother gotta get through on a regular day to day basis, man. It's just the same old, same old. Foot stomping, legs shaking, cries all around. The earth is quaking from stories passed down. Black, yellow, red are the colors I see. Defining the culture that's inside of me In the water, father once said to his daughter, True story beginning with slaughter. So, without the order of water in this day and age, nowadays, I think we will remain in a never ending mind frame of pain. Sometimes going insane, but yet still trying to make a generous change for the next generation, eh? Make the ghost seem more reachable and plain on the main. It's a beginning of a new world, order to work when they're forced to grow up in a world filled with dishonor, do dishonor, a kind of another, two kind of another, finding one another. So, which is what you're running to, one forever runner is what I'm eventually gonna discover. You're running, there's plenty to see. If you're looking for thee, say, stolen generation was a crazy situation. Now we're back up on the scene, rising to the top, positively elevating through the black smoke with its instruments and music. Shaking, cries all around. The earth is quaking from stories passed down. Black, yellow, red are the colors I see, defining the culture that's inside of me.
And we're back with the Doing Time Show 3CR Community Radio. And we're going to be speaking now with Evan, who is the Sydney coordinator of the AWU. And hopefully we're going to be speaking with him about a COVID-safe car convoy that was stopped by police in New South Wales, in Sydney, that is. And I want to speak to Evan about... The, what's going on with the lockdown over there, insecure work, and about some of the demands of the protest, where which was dispersed by police. Hello, Evan. Welcome to the program. Oh, thanks. Uh, it's lovely to be here. It's great to have you. Thank you for coming on at such short notice. I'm not sure what happened to Cooper, but we'll see, hey? Yeah, that's all right. You know, these things all happen good. during COVID. Absolutely. Evan, would you mind just telling us the background of what's happening over there? I believe that uh, New South Wales is still in lockdown over there. Can you just tell us what's been going on and, and the reasons for the protest? Yeah, so Sydney's in a pretty awful position, um, as many of your listeners have probably gathered. Um, rather than give welfare, rather than give us support, the government's basically giving us cost. Um so, for example, in some of the LGAs in Western Sydney, which makes up about half the city that are in quite harsh lockdown, there's been over-policing, and that means, you know, helicopters, sniffer dogs, regular cops everywhere, and now the army, um, many of whom are unvaccinated during their checkups. So none of it really makes sense, and it hasn't for a while. Um, you know, you've had police stopping people coming out of Kmart, checking their bags, and then, like, Louis Vuitton stores have, like, been open. It's been... Awful, it doesn't really make sense. Um, but then bringing it back to Social Security, which is what we've been fighting for, people have been starving because we've been in this position where so many of us can't work and don't want to, to be quite honest, because it's not safe. Um, but we're given no means to survive on our own. Um, myself, like, I'm unemployed. I'm like, part of the Australian Unemployed Workers Union. And like, what we're advocating for is a minimum of $600 a week. Um, which is a little bit more than $80 a day, welfare. Um, but also beyond that, that, that the disaster payments, that JobKeeper, that we have a payment that's reinstated directly to the worker for everyone who stood down. And that should be no less than $750, to be quite frank. Um, many of the workers, um, so for instance, people like Cooper, who are at Annette Kellerman, which is a pool that's just up the road, were working, for instance, you know, maybe eight hours a week uh, to top up their social security payment. And what position are they in now? Um, many workers have been starving under the same provision. But the Morrison government refuses to budge. And Gladys just seems to want to hit us with more and more cops, as if that fixes anything. Um, so I guess that takes us to the convoy. We want to change things. Um, and I'm happy that my union um, has been really strongly in support of the protesters and unionists that have been pushing for this. Um, so we want vaccines also publicly rolled out and available to everyone, which, honestly, the government's been pretty stingy on because it's like playing with big business. Um, so you've had retail workers and early childhood educators, amongst others, who've been denied access to vaccines, um, and that's needed to be rolled out, and people need the leave to access that appropriately as well as to isolate so that we don't continue the spread. Um, I know there was a worker who needed to go in in Ikea a while ago, and there were thousands of casual contacts as a result. Um, it's just been a ridiculous situation. Absolutely. And this this um, unionist car convoy, it was perfectly COVID safe, wasn't it? 
Yes. So um, everyone was in their cars. There was no public um, physical meeting point for people. The people were either on their own in cars or as part of their house bubble. And even inside the cars, people were wearing masks in case there was, like, you know, cops came up. Um, mostly the cops weren't wearing masks, funnily enough, um, and not all of them necessarily believe in vaccinations, but that's another story. That's really interesting, isn't it? Don't you think it's a bit contradictory? Yeah, I mean, the police, like, it's always been clear to them. They're not, like, at all about looking after health. And actually, people were protesting on the day, shooting their horns, like, waving their placards, like, inside their cars, wanting to get supporters so that we can stop COVID, stop poverty, because those two are really heavily connected. The police, and, you know, if you look up online, there's, like, big anti-vaxxer groups of cops. I actually don't have that as their interest. Their interest is just like, you know, with the war on drugs or like war on terror, is appearing tough, but like achieving nothing. Um, really, what we need is strong like worker support and worker organisation who want to deal with something so that we can shut down unsafe work sites, so that we can say that we are going to have the social security to stay home like when we want to, so that we can go get tested making sure that we've got all the support provisions that should have been in there from day one last year and should never have been cut, if we're quite honest. And now we've got this brilliant strain and the um, rates are not going down, but the cops are not helping that, to be honest. Absolutely, because it looks as if here, from what I'm seeing here, that the unions and supporters in Sydney yesterday, wasn't it, tried to make its way to the Liberal Party headquarters in the city's CBD and was stopped um, by by police. Yeah, exactly. Like, the police are just there to defend the Liberal Party. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if the head of the police, Mick Fuller, upon retirement, goes, like, right into Liberal Party pre-selection because they've been operating hand-in-glove, whether it's crushing Black Lives Matter or, like, whether it's crushing student protests, climate protests, or protests to make sure that we can get through COVID. Um, that's repeatedly what they do. And it's just ridiculous that we're here calling for more vaccines, calling for more leave, calling for more welfare, and the cops are just there obstructing COVID-safe protests. Um, protesters who are within this, like, 10 kilometres as well, um, like, which is just clearly opportunistic. And I would point to, as well, like, I've seen police in other states, like in Queensland, try to use, like, traffic inspection as a way to impede protests and also the shameful approach that the police had to a refugee car convoy last year in Victoria where protesters, like, they attempted to find someone 43000 like, a collective $43,000 yeah. from memory and detain yeah. Chris Breen. Like, it's just a pattern. And they're there to defend the Liberals but not, like, support us. It's shameful. I mean, it's interesting because you're all in your cars. It's not as if you were fire-twirling in the streets. No. Like, it was nothing like those, like, anti-vaxxers on the Saturday who were, like organising, like, that atrocious, like, white supremacist protest. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if half of the protesters were off-duty cops, personally. But, <laughs> like, you know, yeah. like, that was a really screwed-up protest. And the idea that, like, we in any way have any similarity to them is ridiculous. And that, yep. like, the idea that our protest, like, presented any of the concerns that theirs did, like, it was more safe to be part of that car convoy than it is to go shopping at your local corner store. That is, like, a horrific thing. And, 
like, you know, when there's people who are being forced into unsafe work at the moment, unvaccinated work, that really shows the hypocrisy of the Liberal government and the hypocrisy of the police. Let people be safe. Let people be safe and start rolling out the vaccinations at a larger rate and give people choice of what vaccination they want. Exactly. Like, I'm lucky in the sense that um, not lucky to have a disability, but lucky to get Pfizer and have my second um, on Wednesday. But so many people are like, wow, I'm having to wait weeks just to get my first AstraZeneca. And the only pathway Gladys is offering is, you know, we'll see if we can get to 80% by October. We all know that that's a like, misleading goal and that it should not actually be the burden of work to scramble, like to get like these individual like appointments, whether that's through like links shared in chats or like queuing up AstraZeneca or whatever, like actually that should have been rolled out long ago when we did not have huge rates of infection. And instead, we're in this situation where we've got this infectious strain, we're playing catch-up and we're not making it. Um, and we're not making it because the government didn't act then and they're not acting now. And to be honest, it also reflects the lack of our international like mind there, like mindset there because if the corporate control of these vaccines wasn't such a thing, then people all across the world would have more access to it. And instead, people in third world countries have been treated like petri dishes. And that's also like horrible, just like seeing what's been happening in India. But actually, we've been sitting on these vaccines and we haven't been helping anyone else either. So we've all lost now. Like it's just, it's just atrocious. It is atrocious. And it's interesting that one of the demands of the protest was to demand safer pandemic working conditions through paid vaccination leave and good and paid test and isolation leave for all workers. Yes, exactly. Because if you're... And this should be extended to casuals as well, of course. But, like, if you're in a position where you have to choose between the shift that you need to make rent this week or going for your COVID test, which, if we're frank, like the COVID testing is like overburdened at the moment, then actually that puts you in a really difficult situation and maybe you're going to be infectious. And the reason that you're going to be going out there is not because you are irresponsible and it is not for Gladys to just tut, tut, tut on the news the next day. It is for Gladys to actually and Scott Morrison to make up the shortfall, make sure that casuals and everyone else gets the lead so that they can stay home, like to wait for their test results so that they can stay home to like get through like their COVID yeah. experience and get the time to go get vaccinated. Absolutely, and it, look, it's just incredible the list of um, of unions that were were going to do the the protest. It was stop fifty cars with union members from AUWU, UWU, NTEU, MUA, IEU, HSU. It's, it's the list goes on. It's just disgusting the way it was stopped, really. Yeah, there's rank and file members across different sections of the working class. Like I'm a member of both AUWU and RAFU, Retail and Fast Food Workers Union. And the reality is, most workers in situations like you look at all the casuals in the tertiary sector at the moment who are underemployed. You look at the fact that most retail workers like part time. You look at like how hospitality works. Next work, like a lot of people are in and out of jobs. They have like hours that are all over the place, or they don't have hours that make ends meet entirely. Like, and everyone is experiencing COVID in a really painful way, even if it's different. Whether it's nurses who are like overworked, overstrained, like, or whether it's 
cleaners who are being cut from schools in New South Wales um, when we need things more hygienic. Like, everyone's being hit with the pointy end of this stick that, like, is being wielded by the Liberals, and it is atrocious, and there needs to be real action to support workers from across the board. And when we see our mates in the so-called police association, um, as if the police are workers or whatever, but, like, come cracking down on this protest, it really shows what side they're on. It is on the side of the Liberals, it's on the side of the big business, and it is not on the side of the workers who come from every single different industry you can imagine with that one same concern of wanting to deal with this crisis. Exactly, and like it says in the media release, listen to working people rather than their friends in the big end of town. Precisely, and it is the big end of town that has gotten us in this direction, whether it is like, you know, the climate emergency, the recession, the big donors that are propping up the major parties, or quite frankly, like the way the whole vaccine stuff has gone down, where rather than having public rollouts of vaccines, like there's this weird like middleman of corporations and patents, like, it should have, like, everything about this has just not made sense. And I remember, honestly, going to a picket line early this year um, of Old El Paso um, workers in Rudy Hill, um, and the experience that I heard about there was that actually that corporation had made money out of the pandemic, and so many have. Like, Coles and Woolworths are not doing poorly out of this pandemic, but the workers in question are. Like, yeah. so many workers from Qantas, for instance, lost their jobs and you know who's looking after them like it's not the government that's right that's exactly right and just from from a, a health point of view why just in terms of your own personal view why do you think cases are going up in new south wales i think we're dealing with a more infectious strain to be one to be quite clear um so things are not as simple as they were before and I think we're dealing with a political situation where the government is even more reluctant to act than last time. Um, so we've got less economic support um, and we've got more infection right, in terms of more of an infection strain. That is not a good combination. You know? It like, really isn't. It really isn't. And, you know, I, I won't keep you much longer because I believe you've got something you need to do. But... Um, you know, I think the thing that's glaringly obvious here um, throughout this interview is that, you know, there needs to be safer pandemic working conditions and also the fact that lots of workers have been, have been stood down. Mm. Yes, it's been quite ridiculous. And there's not even a guarantee that workers will be able to, like, if you think about it, a lot of these businesses are going to be like, oh, yeah, we've been through hardship during this lockdown right? and are going to be looking for excuses. And... I don't know how many workers will feel entirely secure, particularly given how many of them are casuals. And just a and saying to the Liberals as well, the Liberal government needs to be stop playing games with the lives of workers. Exactly. Like, they pretend that we are these, like, discards that they can throw around casually, pretend to be compassionate on the one hand, say that they're, like, tough on COVID, you know, tough, tough, tough whatever, like, as if they care so that they can carry a few votes or, like, salvage an electoral crisis, like, you know, I hope the Liberals get a crisis like they do in WA, so I hope for a more left-wing alternative than what McGowan was offering. But personally, like, yeah. the Liberals have treated us as if we're less than human, less than them. Like, I deserve to eat, I deserve to pay rent, I deserve to have access to everything in life, right? And they're thinking, well, this is a pandemic, so actually 
No, it's going to be the Liberals and their friends in big business. It's going to be people like the Nationals Party who had that fucking fundraiser and spread that whole bunch of infection. Like, seriously, it has been so ridiculous how much of this has been skewed away from the needs of working people and, like, our interests and accepting us as people. Like, we need to live and they need to support us so that we can get through this pandemic. We need to be safe from COVID and safe from poverty. Thank you so much for coming onto the program. And I also, my heart goes out, out to people that have been fined. Like, for example, Annette Kellerman, um, the, the centre worker there, Dominic, was fined, wasn't he? $1,000. Yeah, definitely. And like, it is an awful experience to be in. Like, you're already starving because of this situation, like, being um, twisted by the stand down where neither Belgravia nor the government is taking responsibility for your lack of hours. And then suddenly, the one thing that the like government comes in to do, the one action that they take concerning this issue, when you try to say something about it, is fine you. Like that is pernicious. That is disgusting. That is disgraceful. And that definitely shows the trajectory of the police, and you know, like how much they're tied up, not in defending us, but in harming us, and like delaying any reasonable approach to this pandemic which has us receiving the vaccines that we need, that has us receiving the leave and the welfare that we need. Instead of bringing in the army? Yeah. Like, why on earth do we need the ADF, an unvaccinated series of people door-knocking Western Sydney? Like, it's insane. Like, I don't need someone in camo gear, like, telling me that, like, oh, you, I'm, like, unvaccinated, I'm going to help spread it from this door to the next door. Like, stay safe. Like it's, it's intimidation. It's just like you yeah, know, tough on the war on drugs or war on terror. But you know, I guess I'm, I'm not laughing at you. I'm just laughing at the way you said it. <laughs> <laughs> the way you said it. It's so true. It's so true. Evan, it's been a pleasure talking with you. I'm hoping I can have you back at some stage to do a report back. Oh, um, I'd love to. Yeah, it's been lovely to chat with you and thank you so much for, for actually bringing forth some really, really important points. Thanks a lot. Uh, no worries and um, best of luck. Um, I think you're in Melbourne, so hopefully you get through this as well. Absolutely. An injury to one is an injury to all. Exactly. We're in this together. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Hi, we're the Marindas and you're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM. A message from Victoria's community sector. I'm looking forward to not worrying that my patients are going to die of COVID. To no one else being separated from their mum in aged care. I'm looking forward to our wedding and having our family and friends from overseas here with us. I really want to see my mum. I'm looking forward to being able to welcome guests without a mask on. To having all the sports back to normal so that my family members can come and watch me play. I look forward to performing in front of a big crowd again. So please, get vaccinated. Please get vaccinated. Please get vaccinated. Let's get back to the good things. I ask you to get vaccinated. For all of us. Please get vaccinated. A message from Victoria's community sector. A 3CR supporter. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. 
Show and I'll just announce this last song. Forgive me if I got this wrong, but it's called Melbourne by um, by Sky. Beautiful musician there. And the one before that, the song before that was Stomping Ground by Emily Wara Waramara. And we're nearing the end of our show. Just wanted to thank Evan as well for coming on, and also our first guest 
Mina Singh from the Human Rights Law Centre and Evan was from the Unemployed Workers Union. But before we finish the show, I've just got a, another small article from NITV that I wanted to draw attention to listeners to. And this was is about the children of Yota Yota woman, Tanya Day, who have received the 2021 Volunteer Human Rights Award last week for their sustained activism for justice for First Nations people. Ms Day was arrested for public intoxication in December 2017 and was held in a cell at the Castlemaine Police Station before she died in hospital. Since her death, her four children, April, Belinda, Warren and Kimberly Watson, were instrumental in pushing to change public drunkenness laws with the offence decriminalised in February. Victorian Parliament set to decriminalise public drunkenness. The decriminalisation of public drunkenness was a recommendation of the Royal Commission into Aboriginal deaths in custody 30 years ago. Speaking to NITV News, April said receiving the award was bittersweet. It's been difficult to be able to do that advocacy work while still on that healing journey, she said. We are thankful to be able to receive the award and we are thankful for all the mob and allies that helped us get to the point that we're at today. But if we had it our way, we would have our mum back and not these awards and the recognition of the activism we've done. Children of Tanya Day are outside of the coroner's court of Victoria during the coronial inquest into her death. And I just read out the caption of a photo there. The Do and Time show actually attended quite a few of those of those days of the inquest and continuing, sorry, continuing on with the article. Last year, April founded um, a foundation, a national grassroots organisation that provides support for Indigenous families who have lost loved ones in custody. She's also part of a working group in Victoria that will develop sobering up centres for when a public health response is needed. And lastly, Liberty Victoria President Julia acknowledged the efforts of the family. That was just a bit of an edited version of the article just to let listeners know that the children of Tanya Day have done really, really outstanding work. Thank you to all our guests. This is the end of the show. Stay tuned every Monday from 4 to 5 for the Do and Time show. And we're going to be going out very soon with our theme song, Blackfella, Whitefella from the Rumpy Band. A shout-out to all our brothers and sisters inside, but also a shout-out to everybody in lockdown. And let's hope this pandemic improves. And we've got the Climate Action Group Nick up next. Thanks a lot. Stay safe and see you next Monday. Bye. You don't want
listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.